wheat volatility is riding high. And the cattle price won't slide. We wonder what's going to happen next. Smart money's buying sheep. Your advice comes pretty cheap. Why don't you ask what we can do? Just the two of us. Making podcasts on the fly. Just, Just the, the two, two of us. us. Just, Just the, the two, two of us. us. You and you I. And I. Welcome back, folks. Another Ag Watchers episode, and we've got a, a very special guest, one we've had before. It's Patrick Hutchinson, so uh, from, from Amex. So um, he's here to have a chat, all things uh, meat and meat processing. Uh, Patrick, thanks for coming and joining uh, Andrew and myself uh, in this in this uh, podcast. Tell, tell, tell us quickly who you are and who Amex is. Everyone knows. Well, everyone knows that. Ev- surely, ev- well, everyone should know. Everyone should know. But that's fine. And, but, but, and congrats. Congrats uh, on on your uh, on your new venture, too, boys. I know you don't plug it on this uh, on this podcast, as I reliably hear many times. But uh, uh, I thought I'd also let you know. Congratulations! Um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, look, um, Australian Meat Industry Council. We're uh, uh, a pretty large uh, peak industry council within the meat industry. Probably the what would be the biggest um, size, staff turnover, etc. We. Uh, uh, have about 18 staff that work across Australia across, um, the, the total um, post-farm gate supply chain. So that's meat, meat processing of all uh, products other than chicken. Um, it then is also small goods manufacturing. It is domestic retail, both from a wholesale perspective and uh, an independent retail perspective. We've got a lot of um, alignment with um, affiliate you know, memberships with uh, food service and also um uh, other other cohorts like Australian, Australian Food and Grocery Council, good example. Uh, and then obviously we also represent that uh, uh, extensive um, export markets that you guys talk about. So yeah, so I'm the CEO of that organization and and um, never a dull day. Right oh. So we've got to do a sixth sense with you as well. I don't, yeah, think, we do. I don't think we did that the first time you're on because we went we developed that as a as a as a ag tech. Uh, Matt, you go. Happy to. Yeah, so we fire out. If you've heard the podcast before, you know we fire out a phrase or a word and you just come back with your first thing that comes to mind, Patrick. So I'll start off with uh, labour force. Lacking. Black pudding. On occasions. Haggis. Memories. Foot and mouth disease. Shit. Media. <laughs> um, uh, next. Uh, imports of meat. Coming. I reckon that's six. Yep, I think we're. I think we've done it. Interesting. Nice, nice sidestep on the media question, Patrick. We might cover that off though a bit later. I think we're, we're not a problem. So, labour. Labour is a huge issue just now, yeah? And to put it in perspective, I don't know who you talked about this, did we, Matt? But one of the main reasons, we sold our pig farm. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, yep. Uh, yeah, I heard that last week too, yeah. Last week. Mm. Busy, busy week last week, Patrick. <laughs> uh, and one of the major reasons we sold it was because of labour. In that we couldn't afford to spend the time, you know, running one business, but also running a farm as well. 
mm. and we just couldn't get staff. You know, mm. two year two years ago you get thirty applicants for each job. Now you get one, two if you're lucky, and they're shit applicants. Yeah, mm. access access to labour was a big big uh, factor that that kind of influenced us that way because the investment itself was quite good. But um, and I'm I'm sure when you look across cut across the uh, processing sector, Patrick, that that's been an ongoing issue, but it's only getting worse, isn't it? Yeah, tell, tell us what's happening there. Labour and yeah, so look, I think um, broadly, uh, broadly, guys, with uh, what we're looking at in the supply chain. So, and 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 I look at that. So, probably two, um, uh, you know, pre uh, post farm gate, but then sort of pre pre plate. So, sort of getting into retail. You know, we could be anything up to twenty thousand people short. So, what occurs there is then. Uh, you, you only have an ability to be able to sustain uh, throughput to the magnitude of the people that are there. So often we were always, as an industry and as a supply chain, chipped by unions and governments of state, federal, even local, about the fact that um, uh, the ebbs and flows of industry, we would be having people, you know, that uh, may have to go on holidays for a month and, and, you know, seasonal shutdowns and all of those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, how bad we were uh, as, as companies for doing things like that. Well, now we're seeing a situation where, um, you know, all of that was planned and had been planned based on livestock supply. So when all of a sudden, for the first time in history, MLA goes out and starts putting out some of its uh, forecasts and are basing it on what they perceive to be potentially the processing workforce into the future, we must now start to wake up and realise that there are major, major problems. And the key thing that we've got to work on is that we've got to look at it at a total supply chain. Governments in the past have looked at this and said, well, let's help farmers because it looks good and it plays well and farmers are a very, very uh, trusted, uh, trusted cohort of people in our community. Uh, and especially in the metro community, leave the farm gate and no one really either knows or in some cases wants to know what happens until the protein is in the house or on the plate at the pub or club. So when that starts to be impacted, that then starts to hurt farmers. So mm. helping us in these areas actually helps farmers. Just helping farmers doesn't necessarily help us, which in turn doesn't help farmers. So that rhetoric's got to all balance out and, and, and change. And we think we're slowly getting there, but it's certainly the first time in history where I've, in my career, quarter of a century in this industry alone in these different jobs, that I've seen farming groups coming to the processing industry and starting to say, we're concerned, we're worried about you, what can we do to help? Yeah. And you're right, because there's always been this perception that it's us versus them. And as, that's not just in livestock. You look at grains, no. it's always been growers versus the exporters. and what, Dairy. Dairy. Yeah, it's, it's the same. And, and it goes, we had the podcast quite a few times, twice, thrice, with Liz Jackson. You know Liz yes. Jackson. Yes, yes. Yep. Very well. And, supply uh, chain expert. Supply mm -hmm. chain expert. Number one fan of Ag Watchers. <laughs> uh, but she's, she's also had a very strong push on trying to encourage people to, to think about whole supply chain or whole value chain, whichever terminology you want to use. Because I think it is important that, you know, you can't get one without the other. If it's a broken link, then everyone's. That, that's, that's correct. That's correct. So and look, you've got to, to recognise 
that, you know, the outcomes of the Jobs and Skills Summit um, where, you know, food supply or agriculture was represented by one uh, one people organisation in FF, one company in JBS, and then uh, every union got a, got a spot. Yeah. So, uh, and that included obviously the media industry employees union and other unions. And, you know, the outcome of that has been this tripartite group, um, which uh, we know uh, is, is only four industry organisations in agriculture in total. Yep. In Australia and four unions with the minister, uh, AMIC is one of those organisations, and which again for the meat and livestock industry reflects the concerns that, that the government has now seen that it needs to try to address. We don't want uh, you know new visas. We need total long term solutions to workforce and skills gaps, and that is. Clearly, um, making sure that people stay here. We want permanent residents. We don't want three months watermelon pickers. And so that was, of- that was my that was my next question, actually, Patrick. Isn't it certainly from the labour perspective? I know the supply chain is more to it than just labour, of course. But we might touch on a few other supply chain tensions afterwards. But if you're talking just labour, isn't it simply a, a a situation where you just bring in people from overseas to fill the spots? Isn't that the solution? Well, I mean, simplistically, Matt. Yeah, but. You've got to remember with these these key areas, there's also, you know, there's a whole range of issues that go behind that. Everything from labour market testing to looking at how people will be treated when they're here, uh, their ability to stay for longer periods than they want to, being able to stay with the one employee for that time period, uh, utilisation of short-term visas uh, holders as well. Um, you, know, you know, we have a processing facility in Mackay, one step to the West Sundays. Um, it was always quite uh, adept at being able to have um, uh, people being able to stay there and work there and then cycle people through the system. But, you know, for me, processing, let alone small goods manufacturing, if you look at uh, Don Smallgoods, it's the largest empl- it's the largest regional employer in Victoria. So the meat industry, it, it, it's a monster. Mm. And if we're not careful, we will put ourselves in a position where we get to a point, as America did, regardless of what interventions Biden administration wants to do in saying there's too much power in four companies who hold 80% and livestock price is low, that all plays well to a metro group that doesn't understand the, 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 um, uh, the metrics around supply of livestock and meat. The thing is over there is the fact that with COVID and COVID running rampant through all of their um, businesses, was in fact that they never got back to their full component of people. Inflation in, impacted food price, so um, and they were long on cattle. So cattle price is cheap. Processing uh, uh, income is high because food inflation and other things are high, and they can only slaughter so many livestock because they don't have enough people. And that and that's in a low uh, and that that's in a labour market where costs. A forty-two percent lower than that. Yeah, lower. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. Well, it's um, it's not that simple a solution, but certainly the. What about, you know, the, what about, a, what about the, the robots? Like those boarding rooms. Yeah. Like and look, you know, robot robotics has been a part of this industry for well more than a quarter of a century, well over nearly forty years, and. They, they play their part. They are an intervention in the supply chain, uh, in, in the, sorry, in the process chain. However, you know, humans are still needed. 
highly skilled, you know, skilled, semi-skilled and unskilled. And all of those positions are open. And in rural and regional Australia, often they are the biggest uh, employers in regional centres. I mean, we saw the the, the Billy Wheeler family and everyone so concerned about their welfare and they went back to Billy Wheeler and no one actually knew where they worked. They worked in the meatworks. And it was the meatworks that was helping trying to get them back. Hmm. So that these communities are created are based on, on this. So whatever that's, that's, rhetoric, that's, that's the same in like Katanning as well. Correct. It's huge, the same. Huge, almost, mu- it's almost the same anywhere. Katanning is so sort of pretty it, multicultural sort of area now. Absolutely. There could be up to 20 different nationalities working in one facility. Hmm. And uh, regardless of the rhetoric that you might hear from unions across the board, you know, we need to recognise that these are uh, opportunities that, are, that, that are, the domestic workforce simply doesn't want to take advantage of. It's open for them because essentially if we try to put uh, an international workforce into these same jobs, it actually costs us more. We have to pay more tax on those people. We have to pay into a Skilling Australian fund to skill Australians that aren't in regional Australia. We're paying money to skill Australians in Metro Australia, nothing to do with our industry. And also what we've also got to be paying for, you know, housing, flights, uh, uh, a whole range of different costs associated with that. Always remember, domestic workforce is coming from a house. So they don't, we don't need to find them accommodation. They already have it. So these are the, all of the, the rolling things that we've got to do. And the problem has been has been that, um, uh, you know, issues with things like labour hire in certain places, um, you know, one small misstep, which has occurred on, on occasions, has in, as well as missteps that have occurred in much broader issues with uh, temporary visa holders on, you know, on mm. horticulture, and it's very well known, that then casts a pall over the whole process. So that's why we now have this agricultural employment tripartite group, and and you know, we are going to get to this end point, and we're going to we're going to have to solve this issue because, regardless of what the outcome is at the Jobs and Skills Summit, and talking about IT as the number one issue, you can't eat microchips, right? You eat food. You can. So if we're not looking after food, you can't eat microchips. You can buy them from Woolworths. You just put them in a microwave. Yeah, yeah, true. You can you can you can have a go. I'm not too sure nutritionally how well they go. Oh, Henry, you, but, but look, they're McKin, probably McKin, as good McKin, as McKin, nutrition wise. But hey, I don't. I actually don't know if that Matt, I don't know if that product is actually sold in Australia. But uh, that was a in joke about McCain's microchips that you can buy. Oh, really? I don't know. Oh, I, I don't know. Sold. There's a lot of warm. products. There's a lot of products you get in the UK that aren't sold in Australia, mate. We've got a much higher, uh, you know, kind of put a higher value on our diet here in Australia. It's fine. Um, Auntie, Auntie Julie will get it. So. <laughs> send it over. Now, Patrick, through that um, that little FMD scare, we did see obviously a bit of a rush of, of livestock being turned off, uh, mm-hmm. you know, usually through a part of the season when um, there's not as much activity in terms of slaughter numbers um, in winter. And and with that kind of low capacity, uh, I think the quotes were around that, you know, abattoirs are running 50 to 60%, you know, kind of capacity through that time. And we saw the impact of what happened at price at the sale yard. There was a bit of a, a bit of a, you know, kind of pressure on pricing. Um, is, is capacity now improved at all? Or, or do you know roughly, you know, what the numbers are around the country? Are we still kind of struggling to get that capacity up past 60% or is it, is it kind of coming better? Oh, look, about, look, I suppose on an annual basis, about 80, currently about 80% of our membership is operating at 75% or less capacity. Yep. And we will see the impact, no doubt, 
with the spring flush. Uh, the concentration of processing in lamb is 50% in Victoria on its own. So, you know, livestock coming in from these areas that have had fantastic seasons, certainly South Australia and New South Wales into that Victorian. And it's not even in the Victorian market. It is drawn down from uh, those uh, or drawn across as well, obviously, from those from those states, you know, is 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 um, is a concern. We saw an impact last year, um, and, and MLA again were pretty clear about showing it. I think as you guys were as well. When uh, you know political intervention with COVID said, "Oh no, no, um, we we had cedar meats," um, so therefore because of that, uh, we need to reduce the workforce capacity on site at processing. Uh, in Metro Melbourne to uh, to eighty percent only. So in a, in, you know we were sending back you know we're sending home people that were fully vaccinated. It was just a farce. So again, you know we're we're walking into this this time around. It's um uh, it's just through the fact that we just don't have the people on the ground. Um, and you know if people are, don't think it's going to happen or this is Australia, how could it ever be? You know, if we looked at what happened with Omicron at the start of the year, yes, it was because of the, the policy settings, but it showed that Australia can, its 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 food supply chain can have frailties. And so we need to make obvious, we need to be, you know, very clear to everybody that, um, you know, none, none of us, no country in the world's food supply chain is infallible. Mm. And that's what we need to be, again, tackling. So... Look, with FMD, it was uh, very, very unfortunate. Um, it was politically charged beyond belief. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, my my son goes to a uh, a boarding school in Sydney. We had his year eleven dinner. There were six hundred odd people there. Um, I don't know where he gets it from, but he was the MC, and um, he uh, and I was bailed up by farming families across the board. All going, you know, what do I do? Do I need to kill every pig on my place? Should I sell now? I mean, I think, you know, we saw reports of 60,000 bars of wool wandering around, uh, uh, you know, at, at any one time. Uh, you know, it, it just caused horrendous, unnecessary think, concern. Do you think, look, looking back on it, yeah? We, we, we went to that double biosecurity conference. When was that? August? Hmm. August or September, whenever. Something like that. Yeah, I think it was August. And we, we spoke about that sort of a little bit. Do you think one of the problems was that there was a lot of people talking about it? We, we spoke about FMD. We tried to be objective and, and to the point. But there was a lot of people out there saying, you know, if it, practically FMD was there. And yeah. you had, had to sell your cattle now. Yeah. And a few of them were people who were part of agencies, I would say. Um, <laughs> but, but the reality is that um, there was a sort of a, a vacuum there for a while, yeah. in that the government wasn't saying anything. A lot of the and mm-hmm. a lot of the organisations weren't really saying anything. And it took them weeks before they were actually on the ball with it. Yeah, look, uh, I think now that breaths can be taken, and you know that twenty twenty hindsight can be uh, applied, it was and is just unbelievable that we allowed this to to occur in this nation that uh, media and social media was able to run riot. Hmm. I mean, we were seeing breed societies who all of a sudden 
stopped thinking that they were breed societies and start thinking that they were pig industry associations and their voice mattered and they were looking after their members who were also being looked after by other people who they were also their members. Yep. So all of a sudden, you know, everyone had a comment, everyone had an opinion. Um, and, you know, as they say, you know, opinions like assholes, everyone's got one. And there were plenty of assholes with asshole opinions. And it ran right. And so what happened was that the narrative quickly went out of control because Australia in 2022, after COVID, does not like being told what to do. Mm. And so what was occurring was when we were saying, this, this is under control, this is where it's happening, it's not. People were just Googling and then saying, no, it's not. Well, we, we, people were we, saying, there's someone in, in Indonesia who's saying it's out of control <clears throat> and so therefore it's going to come here and no one's doing anything. Then you had politicians who were slagging off biosecurity systems that six weeks ago they were in charge of. <laughs> you know, and, and it was just, it was just the, 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 the way in which that we had to go through. So look. Ma you know, Ma Matt, there was an example from you as well, wasn't there? I can't what was that one? I won't say which channel it was, but it was a channel with a number after it. Oh, yeah, that came through to me for a comment. And I kind of tried to hose down some of the, you know, some of the over-exaggerated scenarios. Um, so I spoke for about five minutes or so around the fact that you know that the, the risk factor the risk factor has gone up from nine percent to eleven point six percent. You know we've been tackling this problem for a long time. All that kind of narrative around you know that, that there's structures at the border calm to stop it. The you know, horses. Calm, 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 calm <laughs> was my was my approach right <laughs> in the thick of it. And um, I and ended up on the. <laughs> I ended up on the cutting room floor. And um, then I had someone else, yeah. somebody somebody else came in. and said it was it was going to be terrible and we have to close the zoos. And, yeah. and, you know, you looked at, you know, the Catherine show was washing everyone's boots, even though people hadn't been into Indonesia. Yeah. Um, you had people who were, uh, and, and the real thing was, was what it also showed was there's a number of farming groups. And, look, farmers have done exceptionally well over the last two and a half years. And no one wants to, especially obviously them, wants to see that impacted in any way. Uh, yet, then they do a panic sale and all of a sudden uh, they're getting less money than they would if they just manage things normally. Mm. So I don't know, you know, who's advising them or, or, or what the process was. But, you know, the other thing was... Um, Today is always the right day to sell. Yeah. If you're on, so a, percentage, me, if you're on a percentage fee. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you know, so what we what we in then what, what we in turn found that if we are not sensible in these areas, if we allow the media to run away with itself, and we encourage it because we're farmers sitting in you know whatever state that we're uh, that whatever we're in, and we all of a sudden have a fear, and we'll rush out and tell the radio that, and then you saw the ABC basically perjure itself a thousand times because. Metro was saying something and rural was trying to contradict them, then, in fact, you know, that's where it leads to. What happens with, with companies like ours? Because we are the exporters. Let's okay, Farmers don't export. We do. Mm -hmm. And we're the ones with the markets. We're the ones with the investments in place. We're the ones with the offices all over the world. What was happening? All those offices were ringing us, going, we hear you've got FED, what's our next step? <laughs> you know, and then when you had to explain it all, the, the, when you saw with the pork floss uh, and, and other products that were found, those, those reviews have been done every six months for the last five years. 
And the reports have been coming out saying that we've been finding it. No one cared. But the clanger for me was when Channel 7 went out there and put a, a kid's foot with blisters on it saying, we have foot and mouth disease. <laughs> Which then we had to then go and say, no, no, you're looking at hand, foot and mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Right. Then we'll just go. We'll just pretend that never existed. So, you know, and it was always great to see that um, people like me were uh, um, uh, sanitized on um, uh, uh, on places like Mad as Hell, which you know I enjoyed. But I think that overall, now that we've got to the other side, what we now need to do is look at this more broadly. It's an issue that is still ongoing in Indonesia. That's not right. stopping because you know it's slowly. But the thing is, is that our border controls have tightened our abilities. If you look at around the world over the last twenty-five years. Over 90% of all FMD incursions in country have been from two areas, either people bringing infected livestock over borders, and we don't have that ability to do that here, or people bringing infected meat products, which in turn are consumed always by pigs. Mm -hmm. So once we're blocking that off, we're actually blocking off. 90% 90% and, of the opportunity. And, if, and this, 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 is, this is one of the things that I was sort of mulling over a lot of the time during that whole sort of scare was the fact that if you look at the previous outbreaks around the world, yeah, it's never caused by tourists. No. It's caused shit by farmers. Shit on the shoe doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. One, we, we, we've, we've located once that it occurred and that was actually people who were working on an infected feedlot on an island yeah. that then went over to, a main, to, to the mainland country and then worked in another feedlot the next day. Yeah, but it's, but, so, it, but, Patrick, but, 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 but it's agricultural workers, correct? Farmers, not tourists, not tourists. Patrick, Patrick with that point you make, then about the two the two main risks of it coming in, one of them being imported meat product. Is it is it then as simple as saying again with my simple answers to complex questions, um, we just ban all? Well, why are we importing meat product anyway? For we've got plenty of meat to eat here ourselves. So this is illegal meat products normally that have the yep. FMD product on it. Any product that is imported into this country that is a meat product normally is canned and uh, it is hitting that 100-degree mark. Now, the, the product that they found with the pork floss was less about the fact that it existed and was more that the information that, that accompanied the import of that product uh, was, not, was not correct. That's what they're actually investigating. But if you look at fresh uh, pork, uh, products, it's pork. Why is it pork? And as you boys know, is that we can't all have Matt and Andrew with wonderful bloody pork pig farms around the country because we're not producing enough. Now, as a guy who represents all those meat importers as well, you know, those guys are doing that on specific products, bone out product, you know, bonus products that um, are, are going into, you know, the egg and bacon rolls of the footy on a Saturday with your kids. So, you know, if we can use 100% of Australian product, of course we would. We do it for beef, we do it for goat, we do it for sheep meat. Um, why would we do it for um, uh, uh, for pork? Because we don't have enough. Yep. So other than that, uh, um, you know, the, we've got to remember too the strict nature of, of our border control is the strictest in the world. Can so, you know, it, 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 people want to come in here. They want to sell product in here. Um, and, you know, we make it immensely hard for them to do that. So in terms of, like, you guys, just going on a bit of a tangent there, yeah, about small goods, yeah? You guys look after what level of small goods? Like, I know, like, Don and Primo's and all those type of guys, yeah? 
yet we look after from the artisan producer to the corporate uh, to the corporate companies. We just we just ran our Australian Charcuterie Excellence Awards uh, four weeks ago. Um, we had 400 products that were, were judged over a three-day period. 160 of them got a gold medal. You know, they met past the past the um, uh, past the 90.1 out of 100 score. Any black uh, any black pudding product? Well, that, that, that was Unfortunately, no black pudding products, like, as I was led to be aware. But certainly, you know, they're different products from from Biltong to um, uh, uh, to, um, uh, to cooked products to ham on bone, off bone. You know, you know. Because I, I was just thinking of Pacton Park, one of our unofficial sponsors of this podcast. <laughs> um, like that's because one of the things that we sort of like. Obviously, we are advocates for sustainable farming and sustainable food. And obviously, haggis and black pudding is one of the most sustainably sourced foods on the planet, full of iron. Good for you. Mm-hmm. It's using a byproduct. What's what's Amex's position on that in terms of encouraging black pudding production and awful production? Do you have a position? Well, well, I, I have. We don't have a formal policy on black pudding, unfortunately. But uh, uh, as someone who spent a lot of time in Scotland in my younger years, I can tell you that uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. A sheep stomach full of uh, 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 many and very different products, and I used to like the fact that depending on which region you are, it had a different filling in it or a different different recipe, etc. But I can tell you, one of the problems is is the fact that uh, our utilisation of offal is obviously going down for the sheer fact that we don't have enough people to actually harvest it. Mm. Um, great example that we were able to take the sack that the heart in beef uh, uh, holds. So there's a sack that the heart sits in. For an animal that was actually being uh, harvested by certain companies and exported to America to be used in, in pharmaceuticals. Not enough people to be able to do those now, so it just disappears. Okay. So you know we we, we have because that, well, that was the issue. because our role is about we I mean don't again around the rhetoric you know meat processing is the most sustainable factory based processing. Manufacturer in this country. It's a big, the whole that we get. It's the biggest manufacturer. And we use every part. So you guys have the value. But you guys are the biggest manufacturer in Australia. Is Certainly, biggest food manufacturer. Or is, is, is it man, are, 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 are you a manufacturer? Are you a manufacturer or a demanufacturer? Well, we, we inverse manufacturer. In, inverse manufacturer. We yeah. disassemble it and we sell all the parts. Yeah. So with um, your your scrapyard for animals. High quality. Um, with <laughs> that, with that mention about the again the labour being an issue, I was just thinking as you're saying it, Patrick. We've got, I think it's something like six point six million head of cattle is what MLA are forecasting for this this year in terms of slaughter annually. Yeah. Um, I think we're about twenty one or t- nearly twenty two million head of lambs. Um, what's the go? Like, obviously, we're, we're frantically rebuilding the flock and the herd, and that's doing it's going at a cracking pace. We're looking at another decent season, so that's going to allow for continued, you know, um, herd and herd and flock rebuild. Um, how are we going to cope if we can't get these numbers up in terms of labour? How are we going to cope when we're back at eight and a half million head of cattle being slaughtered and 24 million head of lambs? Well, it's the number one, that's why it's the number one issue, mate. I mean, it's um, we're concerned about. Farmer, you know, uh, workers for on farm, and, and and as you pointed out at the start of the podcast, it is a very important issue and remains that. However, the problem that we face is that people are creating a raw material, uh, and then they sell that raw material. Then we need many many people to disassemble it, 
sell all those parts, as I said. Um, we, we retain our margin. So our, our role is about creating total carcass value. And that comes from blood products. It comes from offal, hide, you name it, as well as from uh, those sweet cuts uh, and secondary cuts, et cetera. So, you know, if we don't have those types of people that are working in that now, together with robotics and automation and all the other interventions that we we have, and, um, you know, we're, we're putting all that on, on, on show next week in Melbourne with our innovation, with AMPC's Innovation Showcase and next week in Melbourne. You know, and again, that's going to be showing everybody how sustainable and practical we are. All of that investment, all of that um, uh, can sometimes be for naught if, in fact, we aren't also having the people there to be able to underpin that. So the call out to all of your listeners around livestock, but more that, around grain and everything else, when a bulk of grain that's grown is then fed back to animals, is that if, if we don't recognise and understand the complexity of Australia's food supply chain, then in fact what we will find ourselves in is that we will hit a, we will hit a wall, we will not be able to get past it, and then we will be long on livestock, which then in turn shows poorer prices. Supply you demand. Know, exactly. Now, I mean, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you know, we don't want to see, you know, rock bottom prices for livestock because it doesn't encourage people to reinvest. So that then we well, then we just will stagnate and stay there. So let's not forget, you know, many governments are touting the hundred billion by twenty thirty. We're the powerhouse behind the hundred billion. All right, we're the biggest industry in the biggest industry, which is meat and livestock. Now, if we're not, if we're we're not, we're only functioning to a certain point, we're not going to get there. We won't be able to grow as many blueberries as we think in order to try and make up the shortfall. There won't um, be enough I- our packers to shear. There won't be enough lobsters to get. There won't be anything like that. That's that's what we've got to then just stump up and recognise. And if we do that and recognise that, farmers will win because no matter where the fluctuations go with pricing, as you boys are the best in the country to show us that. The thing is, oh, is that... Th- thanks, you want... We'll send that $10 to you later. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I'll send the $9 change back. See, <laughs> what we don't want to do, we don't want to see the pyramids of Giza in, in our things. We want to just be seeing small rolling hills in regards to... Um, uh, price fluctuation for livestock. We can maintain and handle that because we know that there is a demand overseas that can still underpin price and we can still make margin. But whilst we've got highest livestock prices in the world, highest labour costs in the world, increasing input costs in the world, something inevitably has to give. We are we are maintaining ourselves uh, as we are currently, but this you know, it, it just can't last, literally can't last um, where people are tearing it up and any of you, any of us have managed balance sheets over our lives know that if it sits in the red for too long, then, you know, debt gets called, people start getting concerned and it rolls on from there. And that's um, that, lost, where does it, where do we find it? That's a key. Uh, and we've said that process and margin model that we run there is showing again, I think we're averaging about $300 ahead on beef cattle processing loss so far this season. So it's um, it's it's going to have to change because it can't keep going on forever. But we spoke yeah. a lot about um, supply chain, but you mentioned a few times just there around the demand space. And that's the thing too with all these free trade agreements that have been rolling on with Indonesia, with India, with access into the UK and negotiations with the EU. Um, that that's a you know, huge opportunities there, particularly in that red meat space uh, or in all in all the meat space, well, well, I guess. Well, well, you know? much beef into India, though. 
Yeah. No, that, well, there's 30 million. There, there is product. That there's 30 million Christians. There's, there's 30 million Christians in India. They eat beef. That's plenty more than the Australian population. Plenty of buffalo to eat there as well. But what's the like? Yeah, so just you know, there's a lot of opportunity that's just you know that's just kind of you know right ahead of us here um, in terms of being able to, and, and obviously we need to get the supply side sorted out. But you know, you've been pretty instrumental too. I think Patrick in kind of encouraging that um, that growth in that free trade space. You want to give us an update of where we're at with some of that, particularly into the what's what's the go with negotiations in the EU and the UK. Yeah, look, uh, UK, um, it's going through the Joint Standing Committee on. Uh, uh, on trade, Jay Scott, and um, that seems to be going through very well. We've got um, uh, strong support, uh, for obviously, from the UK side. Uh, the architect of it is now the Prime Minister of the UK, so um, I think that uh, it all bodes well for us to move forward. We start, once it goes into entry into force, at around 35,000 tonnes of beef and 35,000 tonnes of sheep meat, and, um, you know, most of that... Uh, or the bulk of that is obviously in that high quality, uh, in that high quality end, um, and that grows. So it's still a quota-driven market, um, and uh, you know, quota is managed is a technical process, but it is managed here in Australia uh, uh, that we provide. Uh, it allows for new entrants to come into the market, um, and then balances out, especially as I said before, in regards to that high quality area. That grows over the next decade to culminate in that year 10 of 125,000 per um, uh, for beef and for sheep meat. And then after that, it's a it's then uh, not a quota market, but it is obviously a, a snapback mechanism where if you put in too much, it then uh, uh, gets a tariff. The EU is far more complex again, uh, technically. Um, there's a whole range of things that we're working on there, but it is it is being done um outside of what we're seeing in media with in regards to environmental footprints and everything else where so many people are pontificating at what they think they know i think that overall what we know here is that it allows us an opportunity to with that market diversification but again we can diversify on volume we cannot necessarily diversify on value so whilst you know governments successive governments have said um, you know, China is difficult, so let's all go elsewhere. You know, you boys know, four biggest markets. Okay, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Four biggest markets that we have for <clears throat> beef are, are monumental. And uh, Japan, uh, the US, China, and then Korea. Um, the biggest markets for sheep meat, again, China, together then with the US and then going into the Middle East. Below that line, then you're sort of, you know, you're going into incrementals there. This is exactly what we see. I'm going to diatribe here, but <laughs> it's exactly what we see with barley. Yeah, yep. we had China and Saudi Arabia, two largest by a country mile, yep. and we didn't do anything to Saudi Arabia for about ten years because we went to China. Yep. Everyone else below that is just rats and mice. Yep. And I keep hearing all the time we need to diversify away from China. Blah 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 blah. As soon as we've got China back open again for barley. They will be our biggest customer. No, no doubt. There's not enough corona in the world to be needed. It's Mexico is going to be there. Exactly. The so, would, would you not? Would you not think Indonesia and India are two up and comers that we've got? Obviously, free trade agreements with just negotiated two massive populations. I think India is short, shortly about to overtake China for population. Yeah, so, but, but this is this is the thing. For sheep, it's, it's, it is. Yeah, for, for sheep meat for, for India 
And for beef for China, but let's not forget, three quarters of a million cattle also go into to Indonesia as well. So I, I, I think, again, um, you've then got to then go past just getting an FTA because that helps reduce tariff rates, which then makes your product more um, uh, uh, more applicable in markets to you know a, a bigger range of consumers. But you've also got the non-technical areas. And the non-technical areas are a, 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 a strong balance across across all of them. You know, you've got halal issues in in, in Indo and Malaysia and, and and elsewhere. You've got quality issues. You've got food safety issues. You've got you know residue issues. You've got animal health issues, and all of those things are never captured in an FTA. So that's where we've got to be maintaining and managing. F- F- FTA only opens so, the door, and that's it. That's correct, and and we need the ability, the product, the specs, and everything else in order to ensure that we can make, meet and maintain all of those. And look, we're the best in the world at doing it. We've been sending containerized meat across the world for fifty years, and uh, we, we've got no signs of slowing up. No matter what interventions occur to us, whether they be waterfront strikes or lack of containers or lack of livestock or lack of people or whatever else, we always make do. 150,000 tonnes of beef to China last year alone at a time period where everyone thought that it was zero. So, you know, it, it, it's again, and, and I know that you spoke about media at the start, Matt, it, it is about that balance because inevitably what we saw as an impact of media was that that was an overriding factor around FMD for people to start making um, commercial decisions on their farms. Their farms are businesses. They are employees. They are board of directors of their own farms. They have roles and responsibilities and accountabilities on each farm around this country, whatever size it may be. And if you're making decisions based on what the media is telling you, then in fact that is where you know it starts to be an exceptionally fraught scenario. Mm. Very good. No, it's a it's a salient point. Probably a good one, I think. To wrap up on Andrew, I reckon we've covered off on a fair bit and we've taken a lot of your time, Patrick. So we appreciate you coming on again to um to have a chat with us about all things in in this space. Andrew, you're gonna I'm I'm just I'm just looking forward to being invited to be part of a steering group on uh on human edible offal <laughs> as you as you start to develop your policies. And so as, a, as, a, as an expert. And now, I, know, I know as a as a uh, a, a long time consumer, that's that's more than fine. And as I said. We're more than happy to be doing it. Scenario: well, We just need enough people to harvest it. Part of the part of the secret reason for Andrew's relocation to Canberra is to set up our um, our offal and uh, like putting lobby society. <laughs> We're going to be lobbying the government for uh, more more kind of support right. for offal and I can and see right out the front, you know, a, a, a tent right out the front with a megaphone just streaming out there. You know, more offal for more people more often. So, there you go, and a uh, sustainable carbon carbon twenty thirty. Oh, carbon neutral. Carbon oh. neutral. So that's that's all we're about. We're all about helping people. Helping people help. That's themselves. it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, boys, thanks for having me on. And, and as I said, I feel exceptionally privileged as it's the the, the first guest in the new era. And uh, uh, well, I, te- I, te- technically, I, this is just a continuation. No, I know this, that. this I mean, one. In the, another new. The, the, the other era is a. Is a Something, I don't know who this guy episode, is. Episode, you know, I, episode three, the Revenge of the Analyst. I, I, I think that uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this one plays out. So, uh, we'll looking forward to being on the ride too. Yeah. If invited back, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds good. Now, thank you again for your time, Patrick, and your support as always. It's uh, it's very much appreciated, um, and, and your insights. So, um, 
There you go. We'll yeah. see what, you. What, um, what, what, what I do like about you, Patrick. Yeah. And again, I, I got told off for being too close to the heart last week with uh, <laughs> with Matt and I, you know, exposing our love for one another. Uh, but you, you're very much a straight and narrow person. Like, yeah. and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are a bit mealy-mouthed. And, but you're straight to the point. You are honest and straightforward. And you don't hold back, which I've always respected for me. So. No, thank you. Thank you. Guilty is charged. And unfortunately, sometimes that does get me in some you don't, have, you, don't, you don't have to tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we know exactly what that feels like. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, well, that makes it makes us all the more opportunity for us to keep catching up all the time and talking meat and livestock because it's, uh, it's Australia's number one agricultural uh, export and industry and employs more than anyone else. And I think we've got to start waking up and recognising that. It's a broad church agriculture and everyone is invited. The thing is, is that you've just got to make sure that you don't don't forget where you know what drives the engine. Exactly, I, the Ag Watchers podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute number one. There you go. There you go. All right, well, review, leave... people. Write and review. <laughs> leave it there. I think. See you when you got nothing on. Ciao. Ciao.